0: time our choir is going to minister to us, you need to be prepared because in the midst of this song, we will rise together as a congregation and pledge our allegiance to the American flag. So I will give you that notice. So be prepared. We'll stand up and pledge our allegiance in the middle of this song. So you listen as they minister to us in God we trust. Reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. May God bless America. September 11th, 2001, a day that changed America forever. As you're well aware of, I'm sure, today marks the 10th anniversary of those terrorist attacks upon America, and it's hard to believe that was 10 years ago. Uh, you probably remember where you were and what you were doing when you received the news that planes had struck the towers and the World Trade Center. Uh, personally, at the time, I was pastoring in another part of North Carolina. And on that particular morning, I'd taken our car in to get the oil changed, and I remember walking into the Honda dealership and looking to my right and noticing the scene on the television there in the waiting room of uh, one of the towers smoking. And I asked one of the guys sitting there what was going on, and I later sat there and and watched as uh, another uh, plane flew into the other tower. And our lives and our world were changed forever. that day was filled with horror and terror and uncertainty, and we were were under attack upon our own soil. And for the first time in a long time, we were reminded that we're not as secure as we once thought. And as I was contemplating the anniversary of 9-11, I thought it most fitting to set aside our series on the Ten Commandments and spend a few minutes this morning uh, honoring the anniversary and remembering and learning some lessons from God's word. And as I was preparing, I ran across a prayer that Max Lucado wrote for America Praise. And that was a a national prayer vigil that was held just a couple of days later on the 14th of September. This is the prayer that Max Lucado wrote for that event and said, Dear Lord, we're still hoping we'll wake up. We're still hoping we'll open a sleepy eye and think what a horrible dream. But we won't. Will we, Father? What we saw was not a dream. Planes did gouge towers. Flames did consume our fortress. People did perish. It was no dream. And dear father, we are sad. There is a ballet dancer who will no longer dance and a doctor who will no longer heal. A church has lost its priest. A classroom is minus a teacher. Cora ran a food pantry. Paige was a counselor, counselor. And Dana, dearest father, Dana was only three years old, who held her in those final moments. We are sad, father, for as the innocent are buried, our innocence is buried as well. We thought we were safe. Perhaps we should have known better, but we didn't. So we come to you and we don't ask for your help. We beg you for it. We don't request it. We implore it. You know what you can do. We've read the accounts, we've we've pondered the stories, and now we plead, do it again, Lord, do it again. Remember Joseph? You rescued him from the pit. You can do the same for us. Do it again, Lord. Remember the Hebrews in Egypt? You protected their children from the angel of death. We have children too, Lord. Do it again. And Sarah? Remember her prayers? You heard them. Joshua? Remember his fears? You inspired him. The woman at the tomb, you resurrected their hope. The doubts of Thomas, you took them away. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. You changed Daniel from a captive into a king's counselor. You took Peter, the fisherman, and made him Peter an apostle. Because of you, David went from leading sheep to leading armies. Do it again, Lord. For we need counselors today, Lord. We need apostles. We need leaders. Do it again, dear Lord. Most of all, do again what you did at Calvary. Uh, What we saw here on that Tuesday, you saw there on that Friday. Innocence slaughtered, goodness murdered, mothers weeping, evil dancing. Just as the ash fell on our children, the darkness fell on your son. Just as our towers were shattered, the very tower of eternity was pierced. By dusk, heaven's sweetest song was silent, buried behind the rock. But you did not waver, O Lord. You, You did not waver. After three days in a dark hole, you rolled the rock and rumbled the earth and turned the darkest Friday into the brightest Sunday. Do it again, Lord. Grant us a September Easter. We thank you, dear Father, for these hours of unity. Disaster has done what discussion could not. Doctrinal fences have fallen. Republicans are standing with Democrats. Skin colors have been covered by the ash of burning buildings. We thank you for these hours of unity. We thank you for these hours of prayer. The enemy sought to bring us to our knees and succeeded. He had no idea, however, that we would kneel before you. And he has no idea what you can do. Let your mercy be upon our president, vice president, and their families. Grant to those who lead us wisdom beyond their years and experience. Have mercy upon the souls who have departed and the wounded who remain. Give us grace that we might forgive and faith that we might believe. And look kindly upon your church. For 2,000 years, you've used it to heal a hurting world. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Through Christ. Amen. Praise be to God, we have not been attacked again. But our world and our lives are just as uncertain, aren't they? We have watched in just recent days as hurricanes and torrential rains and other terrifying events have taken lives and property and people's security. Day in, day out, we're bombarded with bad news. Our economy is pitiful. Our morals are dreadful. And it seems there's no hope for America. And perhaps if you're honest today, you feel personally there's no hope for you. Listen, friend, I want you to hear this. You hear nothing else that I say today. Hear this. The only true hope for America and for you and for anyone is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only true hope. And I wonder, do you know him today? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've turned from your sin to him in faith and asked him to save you? You see, if you don't have him, you have no hope. You're struggling here in this world filled with turmoil and problems and difficulties. And then when this world is over for you, you move on to an eternal hell. But it doesn't have to be that way. Why? Because He died for you. He was buried for you. He arose for you. And I want to plead with you today to trust in Him. Call out to Him, and He will save you. Because we know that those who call upon the name of the Lord, the Scripture says, shall be saved. Do you know Him today? Is that settled? Do you know that your sin is forgiven? Do you recognize you're a sinner, you're undone, you cannot save yourself, but Jesus Christ came, born of a virgin, the God-man, perfect God, perfect man, lived a sinless, perfect life, and then voluntarily laid his life upon that cross that you might have eternal life. Do you know him today? If not, let me challenge you. Please, please trust him today. Now, when that is settled... And you're a believer and, you know, Jesus, the question now becomes, how do we handle all this bad stuff in our world? And how are we as Christians to carry on with joy and peace and comfort? How are we to radiate the love love of Christ in our lives? How are we to shine brightly in this dark world? Well, we need to realize that the turmoil and the problems is not anything new. The old book of Job, chapter 14, verse 1, said very plainly, man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. The Lord Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three: these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. You see, beloved, let's keep our focus upon our Savior, not upon everything going around us, but upon our Savior, looking at Him. The old hymn writer was right. He wrote, O soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's, there's light for a look at the Savior in life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim." In the light of his glory and grace. The scripture said in Hebrews 12. Therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And, and let us run with endurance the race that set before us. Looking unto Jesus the author and Finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we keep our focus? How do we keep our faith? How do we keep our joy? How do we keep our peace in the midst of all the bad stuff that we're bombarded with? Well, as we remember 9-11, I thought I'd... Offer a few suggestions as to how we can accomplish this. And, and may I give them to you? And we'll look at several scriptures today. And I'll read some of these if you going to jot the references down. But we'll begin in Hebrews chapter 13, if you'd like to open there. Hebrews chapter 13. How do we live? How do we keep our faith? How do we shine brightly in this dark world? Well, several things here. Hebrews chapter 13. We'll begin there. And I want to give you three things to remember as we live our lives here. Three things to remember. First of all, we need to remember God's presence. Remember God's presence. If you're there in Hebrews chapter 13, we'll look there at verses 5 and 6. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, these words. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Now notice this next part. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Notice that part again. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Say that word. Never. Never. Say it again. Never. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Believer, he's here with you today. In fact, Jesus said in John fourteen, sixteen through eighteen these words. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Who is he talking about there? The Holy Spirit the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible is clear that every believer has within himself or herself the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 42, uh, 2 rather. Isaiah 43, 2 is a precious verse. Listen, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Listen, remember, even in your darkest hour, even in the darkest days, he is with you. Remember God's presence. Because oftentimes, when those dark days come, the very first thing we wrestle with is this question. Where is God? Where is God in all of this? Listen, believer, he's right there with you. Remember God's presence. There's a second thing you need to remember. And that is you need to remember God's love. Remember God's love. We're in Romans now, chapter 8. Precious passage of scripture. Romans chapter 8, and we'll begin reading there at verse number 35. Romans chapter 8, i invite you to turn there if you'd like. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 35. Remember God's presence, but then remember God's love. What a precious passage of Scripture. Romans 8, beginning at verse 35, reading down through verse 39, the end of the chapter. Romans 8, 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded, I know that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, God loves you with an everlasting love, no matter what happens. No one, nothing can separate you from God's love. Jeremiah 31, 3 says, the Lord have appeared and bolded to me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, have I drawn thee. 2 Thessalonians 2, 15-17 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and, and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. You are loved. No doubt about it Today. If you're not a Christian, you're loved. You know why? The Bible says, for God so loved the world. He loved you that He gave Jesus to die in your place and save you. You're loved. Believer, you're loved today with an everlasting love. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. In the dark days in which we live, when there's so much uncertainty and we wonder, there was even discussion about a credible threat even today on this anniversary of terrorist attacks. We've got to remember God's presence. He's with us. He's here. Remember God's love. But there's a third thing we need to remember. And that is we do remember God's promise. Now the Bible is full of promises, so, preacher, which one are you referring to? Well, John chapter 14. The Gospel of John chapter 14. Remember God's promise. John chapter 14, if you turn there, please. John 14. These may well be familiar verses to you. This is the Lord Jesus speaking here. And I think these words are so fitting in the day in which we live. John 14 beginning at verse 1, the Lord Jesus speaking, he begins there by saying this. John 14:1. Let not your heart be troubled. Well, Jesus, how can you say that with all that's going on around us in our world? Well, look at John 14, one. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Think about that, Christian. He's preparing a place for you. He's preparing a place for me. And verse three says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That that where I am, there you may be also. You see, beloved, this world that we live in. This is not all there is. Christian, we're going to a place where there is no sickness, no sorrow, no death, no dying, no sin. Our home is is not here. Our home is there. Heaven is our home. We often lose sight of that. It's hard for us to even imagine a place where there's no sickness, sorrow or dying or death, isn't there? But Jesus, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm not just going to prepare it. I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you and I'm going to take you to that place. But even greater than that, he says, what? That where I am, you may be also. You ever thought about the fact that Jesus wants that kind of communion, that kind of fellowship with us? See, Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. With the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, we enjoy that relationship here, but oh what a day it will be we fall before his feet, the feet that still have in their, their very holes in his feet and his hands and his side. Jesus says, Listen, I'm coming again. And I say with the scripture writer, even so come, Lord Jesus. May I be blunt with you for a moment? Let's just be honest about it. If we boil it down to the very worst thing that could happen to us, we'd probably say what? We get killed. Somebody might take our life. But Let's let's be real honest about it. If the worst thing that could happen is that we get killed and we're a Christian, that just means we go to heaven, right? But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 eight, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. At the moment that our life stops here as a believer, our life begins there in heaven. And so the idea is if we live here, we win. We enjoy God's gracious presence and provision and, and promises and, and, and His love. If we live here, we win. If we die, we win. We, we go home to heaven. We see Him face to face. We, we shall be like Him, but we shall see Him as He is. And, and we're there with Him for all eternity. And so if we live, we win. If we die, we win. Paul, Paul knew about that. He wrote in Philippians one twenty through 20-24, these words. Philippians one twenty through 20-24. According to my earnest expectation and hope that, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My grandfather used to say he was between a a crust and a hard pan, a tight spot. I don't know what, what the choose of it were up to me. I mean, to stay here and serve and, and add, you know, fruit to my account, or, or to go home to be a Jesus. E- either way, I win. He says, "I have a desire to depart be with Christ, which is which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Either way, Paul won, and Christian. Either way, we win. E- either way, nothing shall separate us." From the love of God. We have God's presence. God's love. God's promise. We win. We win. And so I don't know what the future holds. But I know who holds the future. And I don't know what's coming for our nation. And I don't know what's coming for me personally. I don't know what's coming for you. But I know who holds us in his hand. Do you know him today? Do you know him? Do you have that sure hope? Do you? If not, why not come today and settle that? But, you know, I thought we've got some practical people among us. And I know there are those who say, well, preacher, what are some practical ways that we can remember 9-11? Well, I'm going to give you three of those and we'll close. Three practical ways to remember nine eleven. I found some of these suggestions in an article in the Southern Baptist Texan and these uh, things I'll share here, most of them. But three things you can do today and, and in the days to come. First of all, you can pray. You say, "Well, I thought you'd give me something earth-shattering and, and powerful," and I did. I said you can pray. You can pray today for the families who lost loved ones. The estimates place the loss at 2,753 who died on 9/11. We can imagine that those who lost, you know, as much as it touched us, and I don't know, maybe in our congregation, was anyone here personally, someone in your family, does anybody here have a loved one perish on 9-11? I'm just curious. Well, think about that. I see no hands. But as much as 9-11 impacted us, what about those whose loved ones were in those towers when they fell? All of us have lost loved ones. We know what it is to grieve and we know those anniversaries can be difficult. But imagine 9-11 when there was such a mass group of people who died. And today our enemy would love to rip those scabs off those wounds and pour salt in afresh and lead people to bitterness Let's pray for those who lost loved ones. Let's pray that they will come to Jesus if they do not know him. If they do, they'd be drawn closer to him and pray for God's comfort to be evident. Let's pray for our country. We can never pray enough. We need to pray. The second practical thing we can do is honor the memory of the first responders who died. The first responders who died The. Firemen, The policemen, those who were the first on the scene risking their life. In fact, by the estimates, I saw 479 first responders died. Now, I know that touches our congregation to a very near and dear point because we have so many first responders among us this morning. You know, some churches have those hero Sundays and they invite all the firemen and policemen and everybody to come to service and honor them. And I thought about doing that here, but I realized who's going to host them? Because guess what? Our congregation's filled with those heroes, those men and women who are the first responders. And so we honor you today. We thank you for your service. I know there are those who in years past did that and those who are actively doing it now. But we honor those who died. In fact, Brett and Courtney Sykes, members of our church, are not here today. And the reason they're not, and and Courtney sent me a message this week. She said, please be in prayer for Brett, because Sunday, that is today, he'll participate in the 9-11 Memorial Stair Climb to remember those firefighters who died on that day. Each participant will be assigned a person who died to be who they are climbing for. They will climb. Brett's going to climb 110 stories at the Duke Energy Building in Charlotte. You see, 110 is the total number of floors for each of the trade towers And the Duke Energy Building is only 50 floors. They'll climb up the Duke Energy Building twice and then 10 more to equal 110. The firefighters on his team will be going up in full turnout gear, air pack tools, just as the firefighters who died did. That is close to 80 extra pounds. And those men, Brett, one of them is a member of the Charlotte Fire Department, is going to climb today in honor and in memory of one of those firefighters who died a hundred and ten stories, just as they did that day. But see, beloved, those firefighters that day, many of them, they climbed up, but they never came back down. We need to honor the memory of those first responders. And we do honor those even today who are first responders. We need to pray. We need to honor. And thirdly, we need to tell. Tell them what, preacher? Tell them the good news. Tell them the gospel. You see, if nothing else, 9-11 reminds us that life is fragile. Now the Bible's been telling us that for years, right? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou know not what a day may bring forth. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appeared for a little time and then vanish away. And we hear that and we say, Oh yeah, we know. Life is uncertain. Yeah, life is uncertain, but listen. For 2,753 people that day, they went to work. They went about their normal duties. They went about their responsibilities. Without a single thought, I'm sure that planes would strike towers, that buildings would fall and they would stand face to face with God in eternity. It reminds us that life is fragile. May I say again to each one here? You're not promised tomorrow. I'm not promised tomorrow. I have this moment a gift from God. You have this moment a gift from God. And I say again, this really could be. You say, "Oh this really could be the last opportunity you ever have to turn from your sin to Jesus Christ. You can walk out today and step into eternity. Jesus says, "Come. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come, I will give you rest. Those that are in bondage and burden with sin, come to me and I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. I will give you new life. I'll give you a home in heaven. Beloved, we need to be telling that, telling that, telling that to all that we see, to all that we know. Tell them the good news that Jesus is mighty to save. Those are three practical ways we can honor and practically speaking. Remember, 9-11, pray, honor, and tell. Soon it will, if the Lord tarries. Soon it will be 20 years and 30 years and on. Lord, that his life. And I know that these memories will fade. I was thinking about that this morning. My children weren't even alive when 9-11 happened. I'd have to sit down and explain to them what it is. The future generations may not remember. It'll become like Pearl Harbor. It'll become like D-Day. It'll become like all those, if we're not careful. But today we remember. We remember. In the dark world which we live, would you remember three things... Remember God's presence. Remember God's love. Remember God's promise. And today, would you practically honor 9-11 by praying, by honoring those first responders, and by telling anyone you meet that Jesus is mighty to save? Let's pray. Your head is bowed. Your eyes are closed. And I wonder before I pray and close the service today. Do you know Jesus? Are you sure? If you're not, why don't you come today? In a moment, we're going to sing a closing invitation song. And we would invite you to step out and say, preacher, what will happen? Well, I'll meet you here and put you with somebody who will take a Bible and share with you the gospel and lead you to Jesus. We're not here to embarrass you. We're here to help you. We're here to encourage you. And so as we pray and as we close, the invitation is clear. And then perhaps that others who know Jesus would like to come today and pray for those families that lost loved ones. And in a very practical way, lift them up before the Lord as we close in our invitation time. I would invite you to come as well. Father, we love you and praise you and thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for your word. Now I pray. Your will be done. Lord, you said in your word, you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I pray, God, today, those who do not know Jesus would come in repentance and faith. And, Lord, I pray that you would have your will and way in this invitation. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is 310. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into thy freedom, gladness, and life, Jesus, I come. Would you come today as we sing? Be you saved. Would you pray? Would you come? the invitation come? The altar waiting for you as we stand and sing 310,
1: 310. Amen.